Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you all tonight. Glad you're here. I'm going to get started and uh, ask God's blessing on our time. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus, to gather together. We thank you for the relationships we have one with another and the relationship we have with you. And for all the ties that bind and draw us together, we thank you, God, for uh, just your life and the life that we have together in your body. So we ask tonight that you would teach us, you would lead us, you would guide us. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to take your word and apply it to our lives. I ask you, God, that we would be open, and that we would be ready to receive, and we invite you, God, to do your work in us. We invite you, God, to bring your revelation. We invite you, God, to bring new understanding I pray, God, that this will be a time where we hear you, we see you, we experience you. Uh, we give you thanks tonight for your presence. We give you thanks tonight for uh, this gathering and this time. We ask God your blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And take a few moments. Open up to Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. The Gospel of Mark, Chapter 1. I need a volunteer, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, I need a volunteer to read verse 24. Mark 1, 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. All right, thanks for reading that. This is an encounter that Jesus is having with a guy that's demon-possessed. And uh, the demon that had possessed him begins to speak to him, and he pretty much says the same thing. He cries out to Jesus, and it's almost identical to uh, the Gadarene, uh, the, the guy that had demons, and now that's found in Matthew 8.29. And they pretty much say the same thing, kind of interestingly. And uh, so I looked at it in this sense that there must be something significant about this because it's something that happens... Two different places, two different people, two different demons that we know of, and two different Gospels. 
And so there must be a significant lesson, something that he says here that is something that we should probably know or, and or understand. So took some time, looked at it, and so I'm going to share with you what I got. Uh, Jesus' dealings with people with demons are extensive through the Gospels. Uh, and whether or not you recognize that or see that uh, really depends on how you read it. Because if you think about it, if you're not really reading it about that, like you're, you're looking for other things, then that's really what you're going to see. But uh, if you just take just, a, just an examination of the Gospels and you look at all the times that he has some interaction with a demon, some, some unclean spirit, some familiar spirit, something that we would categorize as demonic. It's astounding how much interaction that he has with them. Through my time in Christianity, uh, from the very beginning, uh, as a young Christian, I was exposed to ministry where people would pray over people for deliverance. And it, it kind of interestingly, because of that, I got to experience a lot of Christians' reactions to it. Because uh, most of the time, in my experience, the people who are possessed of demons or, or somehow in their bondage because of it, that are ministered to, don't have a problem with it. Uh, the issue really becomes the way that Christians react to it. Because uh, in my experience, Christians bring the most opposition to this of any group of people I've ever seen. Uh, the people that are receiving ministry don't. People that don't care about it or not thinking about it, they don't care and they don't think about it, so they don't. The opposition really comes from within our own circles, which is interesting because really this all belongs within our circle. And it's part of the ministry of Jesus from the very start. So, I mean, this is Mark 1, right? I mean, it's not like we're real deep into the story of Jesus here. And Mark is kind of the basic gospel. Mark is the, uh, the one that is the simplest, probably the earliest of the Gospels that were written. And so it is the most bare-boned basic of all the Gospels. And so you get, you're still in Mark 1 here, and you get 24 verses in, and already we've got Jesus dealing with someone with a demon. And it just you go through the Gospels, like I said, and it's astounding the number of places and times that you see that. And most of the time when Christians have an argument about this, it has to do with, well, we don't want to see a demon under every rock. Well, I'm not suggesting that. Well, we don't want to make stuff up. Well, I'm not suggesting that. Well, we don't make, want to make this the focus of our ministry. I'm not suggesting that either. All I'm suggesting is that if we serve Jesus and he's our example and he had as much interaction as he did with the demonic realm, probably we can expect something of the same. Because we expect to, to pray healing over people, sure. We expect to share the gospel with people, yeah. We expect to love people, yes. We expect to uh, you know, do a lot of things that Jesus did. And, and yet, here's something that he did on a regular basis. In fact, you know, when he commissioned his disciples, that was one thing he commissioned, that was one of the things he commissioned them to do. You look at the end of Matthew when he gives the great commission, or you look at all into Mark specifically, and he speaks over things that we're going to do. One of the things that he said that is in his name, we will cast out demons. We will speak in new tongues. 
We will do miraculous things. And so it's specifically mentioned. And so without making anything up, without overemphasizing anything, without saying, oh, this is more important than X, Y, or Z, which I don't believe it is, I do want to say that I, I see enough of it and I understand enough of it, and I see enough of it in the ministry of Jesus, and enough of it in the ministry of the early disciples, enough of it in the ministry of the early church, to understand that even in the commission of Jesus, is something that we need at least, at least to be aware of, if not something we really need to understand how to practice with some kind of authority and some kind of power. So, that's what I have to say about it. Uh, it, depending on your experience, how you came up in Christianity, you may have had exposure to this, you may not have. Uh, but as far as being here at the church, we, we have exposure to this. We have exposure to this both overseas and here. We have exposure to this uh, in West Africa. Not a trip goes by that we go to West Africa that we're not exposed to this. And we have an opportunity to cast demons out of somebody and to set somebody free. That's just the way it goes. It just happens to be the culture. It happens to be the place. It happens to be the openness to it. It happens to be the nature of the ministry that we have there. So that's what happens. Other places that we've gone, we found the same thing. Same thing here on Westcott Street. People will come in. They need deliverance. We're going to pray for them. People will come up to the front of the church and they need deliverance. We'll pray for them. People that we meet on the street need deliverance. We'll pray for them. It's just something I believe God has for us, part and parcel to our understanding of the gospel, to say we ought, we're going to offer some people freedom. We're going to offer some people liberty, and we're going to offer that people can be set free from the power of the devil. So we're going to look at some of that uh, and some of the things that, that, that happens in this interaction with Jesus. And, and interestingly, you look at the beginning of this, and... Uh, this demon is accusing Jesus of something to start with. And it's kind of interesting because he asks the question, he's like, why are you? And I put little quotes in my notes about this. Like he said, why are you? What's the question he asked him? Why are you what? Mark 1.24. What do you want with us? Okay. So that, so quote unquote, what do you want with us? Signed demon. Okay. That's what he wants to know from Jesus. What do you want from us? What do you have to do with us? Why are you interfering with our work? All right, so he, before Jesus did anything, before Jesus even began the ministry that he was going to do with this guy, this demon speaks up and he wants to know why are you bothering us? Why are you interfering with us? Why are you here? What are you doing? That's what he wants to know. And kind of interestingly, that he had at least an understanding of that. Understand this, the devil is an unclean spirit. The devil is an unclean spirit, by definition. Now, not all unclean spirits are the devil, but the devil is an unclean spirit. So if the devil is an unclean spirit, what that means is that he acts in opposition to the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. And so what Jesus was going to do was he's bringing about, because what Jesus was all about was doing the Father's will. And he was directed of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was all about doing the will of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was all about doing the will of the Father. Jesus was all about speaking what the Holy Spirit gave him to do. Jesus was all about moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was in line with the Holy Spirit. The devil, as an unclean spirit, is in opposition 
to the Holy Spirit. So by definition, you have Jesus and you have this demon are in opposition to one another. So why would the demon, now think about this for a second, why would he ask this question, why are you bothering us? Why are you interfering with us? Why are you in opposition to us? Why would he ask that? Because by definition, they were in opposition to one another, by definition. And I thought it was interesting that he asked that question. Because it's not that he's not aware that he's in opposition. It's not that he's not aware of who Jesus was. He was aware of who Jesus was. He was able to even call him by name and understood who he was and and, and had a certain amount of belief. But as an unclean spirit, whatever that demon was, it's a defiling spirit. And it defiles the spirits of those around them. What do you know about the devil? He came to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And he's the father of what? That's true. All right, so if you know those things about him, then you begin to understand, does the question that he asked Jesus have to have any truth to it? Does it necessarily have to have any truth to it? No. Then why would you expect that? All right, you follow me? Why would we even expect that to have any truth to it? What's he asking Jesus? Like, why are you opposing me? Well, he's opposing Jesus. Well, why are you interfering with what I'm trying to do? Well, isn't he interfering with what the Holy Spirit's trying to do? Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? The thing that he is bringing accusation toward Jesus for are the things that he's actually doing himself. That's the work of the devil. And that's how the devil deals with things. And so he's asking these questions, really, in a sense, he's just saying, well, that's what he's really doing. But he's going to accuse someone else of doing that. You've noticed that this is something that is common. All right, with liars. This is something common with liars. They will look at something they're doing, and then they will accuse you of doing it. Even though you're not doing it. You have nothing to do with it. You have nothing in that realm, nothing in that way of thinking, or nothing in that way of doing anything. But they're going to accuse you of doing what they are doing. That's what liars do. Okay? And so if he's a liar, he's the father of lies, and all his little, you know, demon kids there are the, the, the little demon kids of lies, then this is what they're going to do. They're going to accuse you of doing what they are doing themselves. And when you see people do that, like real people do that, understand they're liars. Okay? Does that mean you shouldn't like them? No. Does that mean you shouldn't serve them? No. Does that mean you shouldn't love them? No. No, we're called to love and we're called to serve and we're called to do all those things with people. But understand what's going on. And in part of being able to love somebody is to love them in truth. And if the truth of the matter is that they're just a liar, then that's the truth of the matter. Love them then. If the truth of the matter is is that they're a deceiver, then at least know what the truth is and love them in that and serve them in that. That's part of what we're called to do. You don't think Jesus knows what's wrong with you? Of course he does, but he loves you anyway. He loves you in truth. And that's what love is. is to love somebody in truth. In other words, as they really are, not as you want them to be. 
not as you imagine them to be, not as what you want them and, and desire them to be, not even as who they think they are. It's really loving them in truth as to who they actually are. That's love. That's real love. And so Jesus knows us for who we are actually are, and he loves us for who we are. He loves us in truth. And so understanding who someone is and understanding the truth of the matter really opens up the door for us to love them in truth. So somebody's a liar. Well, they're a liar. Okay, at least I know. Somebody is whatever you want to put next after that. It's what they are. It's who they are. It's the truth of the matter. And we're able to love them in that way. So uh, these demons, I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you love demons. I'm saying I'm talking about people, okay? But these demons, I mean, they're just liars. And so they're lying. They're lying about their, their motives, who they are, what they're doing. And they're, they're throwing it on to Jesus. They're throwing out, oh, Jesus is interfering. Jesus isn't interfering. Jesus came to set that person free. Jesus is there to, to bring deliverance to that person that those demons are possessing and to set them free and set them at liberty. That's the truth of the matter. Why would he be accused? Because the devil's the accuser of the brethren, because the devil's a liar. And so he just jumps up and he just starts lying to him. Somebody look at Colossians chapter 2. I want to lay some Bible on this about Jesus. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15. All right, so... Um, from what I could hear uh, from that, uh, it, the, the main idea behind that, it talks about the work of Jesus, and it talks about what Jesus has done, and his work on the cross, and, and all that he did as far as taking sin, as far as he did as setting people free, as far as what he did in reconciling us to the Father, and you go toward the end of that, and it talks about how he has disarmed he disarmed demons. He disarmed the devil. And he set them as a public spectacle. And he, he draws on the, the picture of a Roman triumph. And a Roman triumph was a big parade when a, a conquering general or whoever it would be or the Caesar would come back from a victorious campaign and he would just parade through the streets of Rome the, the spoils of war, whether it would be the foreign king that was conquered or rare animals or whether it would be uh, just chariots or whatever it was that they were able to capture or uh, whatever it was, but they would just, just roll it right down through the main streets of Rome as just a public spectacle of what they had done, of what they had accomplished, of the conquering that had taken place. And so the picture you have here in Colossians is what Jesus had done. He conquered. And it explains how he conquered through the cross. It explains how he conquered through his sacrifice. It explains how he conquered to set us free. But then it, ta and then, but it talks about, and it gives this picture of the triumph 
And it says, and he took the devil, he disarmed him. Not only did he disarm him, which that would have been great. If that's all he did, that would have been awesome that he'd be disarmed. Not only did he disarm him, he put him on the back of a wagon and he's hauling him through the streets in public disgrace as to the conquered. He has been beaten. And that's what Colossians declares. And so it's kind of interestingly that understanding that is to understand Jesus and what he's doing here in Mark chapter 1. Is that that he is, even prior to the cross, even prior to what he did on that day, he is drawing and he is disarming these powers of the devil over people's lives to set them free. Because the whole reason behind any of this stuff, the whole reason behind any of what you see here, the whole reason behind us even looking at this is so that people can be free. The whole reason behind even looking at this is so people can be healed. The only reason behind any of this is so people don't have to live in bondage and they don't have to live in pain and suffering and they don't have to live in deception and they don't have to live in darkness. The whole reason that we even look at this and, and consider this is so that we can be a part of God's plan, an agent of God's plan to see people really set free and to see people be able to enter into the love of Christ, to see people healed, to see people made whole, body, soul, and spirit. The whole reason behind this is our ministry toward other people and the life-giving ministry that God's given us. And so when Jesus sent the disciples out, the 12 and the 72, he gave them power. And if you read the passage, it says this, specifically he talks about this, he gave them power over unclean spirits. Why? So they could set people free. Why? So they could do the work of the gospel. Why? So they, they could see people healed. They could see people made whole, body, soul, and spirit, so they'd be effective at preaching the gospel. He gave them power and he gave them authority over demons and over unclean spirits so that they would be effective at the work of the gospel. You know, we think of the work of the gospel as, well, we're going to love people. It is the work of the gospel. But if we're going to be effective at that work and we're going to be effective at what God calls us to do, we need to see people set free. We need to see people's eyes open. We need to see the veil lifted off of people so that they can see the truth for what it is. And in order to do that, we need authority over the demonic. We need authority over unclean spirits. And so that's what he does. That's what he does. And, and so all of this that he gives to his disciples, all of this that he gave to the 72, all of this that's been accomplished, he gives to us. And, and he says and, and that we would be his witnesses. He says we would go forth. These signs shall follow them that believe. Well, one of the signs is that we're going to cast out demons. That's not something that's up for really, we don't need to beg for that. We don't need to, to ask extra heavy duty for that. We don't need to fast and pray for that. We, we have that. That's a sign that's going to follow us. Should we choose to operate in that? Just saying. That, that, that's a given. It's not something we need to, to wonder about. Well, I wonder if God's going to use me in that. No, that's a sign. That's one of the signs that will follow us. So we, we can have every expectation that God's going to use us in that. We have every expectation that God's going to anoint us in that. We have every expectation that God has a desire for our lives, that we can be that, that kind of liberty givers to the people that are around us, that kind of freedom givers to the people that are 
around us. You see, the demon thought casting him out was improper interference in what he wanted to do in that person's life. You see? That's why he's asking Jesus. He's like, why are you, do, you, know, why are you messing with us? Well, yeah, that's, that's our job, all right? That's Jesus' job. That's what he's doing. And, and instead of being improper interference, it was really the demon activity was a direct, a direct assault on God and his work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you hear the liar in that? Why are you bothering us? No, no. You started bothering this person. You have brought a direct assault against God and his work in this person's life. You're the one in violation. Get out. You see, that's where the lie comes in. It's like, oh, we're interfering. Jesus is going to interfere. Jesus wasn't interfering. The demon was interfering. Jesus wasn't the one that was out of line. The demon was out of line because the demon, what his work and what he was doing was a direct assault on what God was doing in that person's life. There's no reconciliation between Jesus' loving people in this. This is a direct, a direct result of Jesus loving people, is to see him set free. A direct result of that kind of love over people's lives is to see him set free and to see him begin to move in that kind of freedom. See the word of God freely moving in their life, to see their bodies working the way they're supposed to, to see them strengthened the way that they should be. That is love in people's lives. And there's no reconciliation between those. Doesn't need to be. It is love. And so this action, like any action, is love as it's directed by the Holy Spirit and as God directs us into it. That is love. And, and so the demon asked him, second, another question he asked him, like, well, have you come, what, to destroy us? Didn't he ask that? Yeah. I think he had an inkling, didn't he? Right? Have you come to destroy us? Well, yeah. Yeah. Somebody look at 1 John 3 8. 1 John 3 8. 1 John 3 8. All right. Now, I know in your head, you have, in your mind, why Jesus appeared. Okay? You probably learned it in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school. And, and it wasn't this. Okay? All right? The reason Jesus appeared was to, and what did you learn? What? All right, to, to take away our sins. What else did you, what else did you hear? Why did Jesus appear? Okay, what else, why else did he appear? Yeah, how about love people? Yeah, how about show us the Father? Yeah, how about, you know, there's like all these things, and, and, and I mean, they're all a part of the story, right? There's not, a, I didn't know, nothing I just said was wrong, necessarily. But a direct statement as to why Jesus appeared, here's a direct statement, to destroy the works of, of the devil. That's a strong statement. That is a strong 
statement. And that's being made by John. You know, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, who wrote the Christian gospel. You know, that, that third, that, that fourth gospel that he wrote there that was really spiritual and really, you know, for the church. All right. Yeah. That John, who talked a lot about love and everything. John, that guy. So he's writing this general epistle to the church. And it's just part of that general epistle, his first general epistle to the church. He says to him that the reason that the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I would say that gives us a clue as to how important this idea is. It is important. It's an important idea when it comes to the work of Jesus, and then consequently, if we're his body now, right? And he's the head, the work of the church. Now, if we're not doing this, if this isn't a regular part of what we're doing, then maybe we're missing something. And I really want to I, I want to say that because I really want you to think about that. Because we can talk, and, and I can talk to you, about love all day because I, I think love's a great topic and I think it's something that we need to hear about and it's something that we need to major in. Love is important. I can talk to you about forgiveness all day because I believe forgiveness is an important topic and forgiveness is something that we should major in. I can talk to you about mercy and I can talk to you about grace and I can talk to you about a lot of things that I believe are super important topics for us as God's people. And I talk about all those things. But every now and then, I think it's important that we talk about our role and our authority that Jesus has given us and the importance of this role and the importance of the authority in destroying the works of the devil in people's lives. Because I think it's, it's really important. And, and I think it was important enough for Jesus to not only model for us over and over and over and over and over again, I think it was important enough for him to, to include in the commission that he gives us as his people. I think it's important enough that, that those things are included in the book of Acts time and time and time again, where you see the apostles casting out demons and you see the apostles taking authority over the demonic, that it's included enough all throughout the scriptures that we really should consider taking it seriously in our own lives. We just should. When we gather for prayer, uh, if you're around for prayer, you know I pray some of the same stuff every time. Why? Because it's important. That's why. If you come to evangelism, I'm going to pray about the same thing every week at evangelism. Everybody else can chime in the new prayers. I don't care. I got my old ones. And I'm going to pray about the same thing. I pray every single week at evangelism. Why? Because it's important. That's why. And I'm going to take the time to do that. Because I believe it's important enough that we should stay on it. That we should pray about it. We should stay on it. And we should keep it front and center as to who we are and what we're doing. People need to be set free. People need to be set free. There's people that are walking in addiction right now that need to be set free. There are people that are walking in pain and suffering that need to be set free. There's people that are under so much demonic oppression and depression in their lives that they need to be set free. 
Because if somebody's under that kind of oppression in their life, you can tell them how much Jesus loves them all day, which we should because they should know that and that should be true to them, but it's not going to really mean anything until they're free. In fact, in fact, telling somebody that Jesus loves them when they're under that kind of pain and that kind of oppression is almost annoying sometimes. It just is. And so if we really want to see people responding we want to see people responding to the gospel we want to see people responding to the work of god to the move of god in their lives then we need to be ministers of and we need to be dealing in a certain amount of freedom and a certain amount of liberty and that happens as we really enter into the authority that god has given us now in this verse in first john 3 it talks about Jesus, that the Son of, Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy uh, means, and literally means to loose, to unbind, to unravel, and to dissolve. I'll read those again. To loose, unbind, unravel, and dissolve. That's what that means. That the Son of God appeared to loose, unbind, unravel, and dissolve the works of the devil. And so what that implies is that the devil, the works of the devil, are bondage. Are bondage. And so the works of the devil in people's lives are bondage in one way or another. And the work of Jesus is to loose, unbind, unravel, and dissolve that bondage. That's what he does. And it's through that, through that freedom and that dissolving and that unraveling and that loosing that he does, that people are put into a situation where they can actually live. They can really live. You know, Bondage is a terrible thing. And if you have ever come out of addiction, you ever come out of some type of bondage in your life, you know it's a terrible thing. Because it will rule your thoughts. It, it, you feel like you have no choice. You feel like you're helpless. You feel like you're just being destroyed and there's nothing you can do. And I could go on and on, but those are the feelings sometimes that you have. Like you're a slave to this thing that other people around you aren't a slave to, but you are. And it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible thing to live like that and have to live like that. And the people that we've had with us, you know, that, uh, and, and there's people in our church that have come out of alcoholism and the, and the bondage that there is to alcoholism. There's people that have come out of bondages to, to gambling. There's people that have come out of bondages to other things, tobacco and other things like that, that they, they, they just felt helpless. And I mean helpless with. And, and to see people set free like that is, is a powerful thing to me. It's people that are part of our, our church that have demons cast out of them. They've had demons cast out of them. And they need to be set free in order to believe, in order to live, in order to go about the life that God's given them. And they can live now where they couldn't before. It's good. It's a good thing for people to be set free. It's a good thing for people to be loosed and for these things over people to, to, to be unbound and unraveled and dissolved over their lives. 
you know, the, the devil, there's a picture of his work as chains that, that bind us and that keep us. And the Son of God appeared to unravel and unbind and set people free. And so we need to be about it. You need to be about it. I need to be about it. To look for opportunities to, to set people free. We need to be about it, to be willing to pray for people, to be free. Especially when we see people that are, are obviously bound up. We see people that are obviously under some kind of oppression. Obviously. And, and we have the means by which they can be set free. It's like they have a lock and a chain around them, but we have the key. And so we're given opportunities almost every day of our lives to speak freedom over people. Almost every day of our lives, we're given an opportunity to pray over people. Almost every day of our lives, we're given an opportunity to, to actually minister someone. We may not take that opportunity, but we're given the opportunity. And again, it happened enough times in the New Testament. It happened enough times in the Gospels. And it happened enough times in the book of Acts and throughout the book of Acts that I think we can look at that and conclude that this is just a normal part of what it is to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, and to be a sent one of Christ. That this is just a normal part of that. And to be willing to be comfortable as someone who gives freedom to people, and to be comfortable as someone who speaks liberty over people, to be comfortable as someone who prays deliverance and unraveling and loosing over people, to be comfortable with that, I think is an important part of being effective in what God's called us to do. And so I want to encourage you toward that more and more tonight. Interestingly, the, the demon said to Jesus, he said, I know who you are. Yeah, right? Probably that demon knew who Jesus was better than most of the people that were around at that time. All right? Like, in other words, there are people that saw Jesus. There are people that heard Jesus. There are people that, that witnessed his work. They witnessed him healing people. They witnessed him, you know, casting out demons. They witnessed him doing all of these things. And yet this demon probably knew who he was more than a lot of those people did. I'm not saying the disciples. I'm just saying people that he ran into on the streets. And so he made a proclamation to him. He's like, well, I know who you are. That's the quote from the demon. And it says, it's the Holy One of God. That's who he calls him, the Holy One of God. And you see that used, that term used in Psalm 16.10. Somebody want to read that? Psalm 16.10. Okay, so the the other another translation that would be your holy ones. It's the same understanding, same word there, and and the idea behind that and and what we're looking at with that is that he recognizes who Jesus is as the holy one of God. That's also a reference to what uh, was written on the high priest. The high priest had a medallion that was on his turban. Uh, do anybody remember what it said? You remember? It said, holy to the Lord. 
Okay. And, and there's a re- it's like a, a reference toward some of the work of Jesus as the high priest, the great high priest. All right. So there's a revelation going on here to whom the demon understood who he was. All right. And, and that's not too unusual. Somebody look at James 2.19. James 2.19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. All right. <laughs> now, now, that verse, I've used that verse in a number of different ways, but one of the ways that I've used that verse is with people like, but I believe. All right, well, that's cool. So did demons. All right? Demons believe. And, and so that's not really that impressive. Right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay faith because I think faith is important. Hear me out on this because I, I think this is kind of a, a key point on this is that it's okay and I want you to believe that's good. But God calls us to more than that. He calls us into relationship. He calls us into his will. He calls us into his purposes. He calls us into his plan. And these demons aren't in his plan. They're not, you know, part of what he, they're not worried about what Jesus wants them to do. They're just going about whatever demons do. But they believe. They know he's real. I mean, the devil knows God's real. I mean, he stood in his presence. Read the book of Job. Read the beginning of the book of Job. You understand that, that he was in the presence of God, cast out of the presence of God. He's been in and out of the presence of God. Understand that. So these demons, they know. And so this demon's like, well, I know who you are. So what? Of course he does. Well, of course he does. You're the Holy One of God. All that means is he's God's own. All right? He's God's own. That's why that thing was on the high priest medallion, meaning that high priest he set aside. That's God's own man. That's his, that's his guy right there. All right? And so Jesus is that, and he's more. And that demon looks at it and says, well, you belong to God. You're God's own. Well, absolutely, that's correct. But there's nothing miraculous about that. It's just a matter of fact. And there's nothing that you should look at as particularly virtuous about that. Because there's nothing virtuous about that. It's just a matter of fact. It's what it is. And so in James, when he talks about in James 2.19, he's like, well, so the devils believe and they shudder? I mean, they probably have more respect than a lot of people do. As far as who God is. Because people will say, well, I believe in God. They don't really have any kind of a, a respect for him. They don't really have any kind of awe for him. Well, they do, in a sense. They're not going to obey him. They're not going to do what he wants them to do. But at least they understand who he is. So don't be surprised about that. And if that is going to encourage you toward a deeper place with God, let it. Let that encourage you into a deeper place with God. Because if you're on equal footing with demons, you're probably not in a good spot, all right? Well, I believe too. Well, good. But we need to move deeper, all right? We need to move into a better place. We need to move into a deeper place with God, a place of his will, his purpose, his plan for our life, a place where we can come into alignment with his will, into alignment and obedience to him. I mean, that's what begins to set us apart is that we're living with him and for him where demons aren't. And so that matter of faith needs to be expanded in our lives and needs to go a little bit deeper for us. 
as to what does that really mean for me? What does that look like in my life? What does believing in God actually look like in the everyday things of life that I do? And let it be something more than just a a single confession of faith. Because, man, James 2.19, demons make a confession of faith. That is not enough. That's just not enough. All right? And, and so this demon is talking to Jesus. It's like, yeah, well, I know who you are. Well, of course you do. If you remember the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, there are these, uh, there's these seven sons of Sceva. They, they were not Christians. Uh, they, were, they were Jewish guys, and they went about, and they were performing exorcisms over people. Because they had seen Paul and, and, and they'd seen the disciples, the apostles do it. And so they kind of got the formula for it. And so they were going to go up to people that needed to be, needed demons cast out of them. And they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And so they had this little thing that they would do, which they, because they heard, well, that's going to work, right? And so it did for a while. And so they were able to cast out some of these demons. And they got a reputation for casting out demons until one day they ran across a demon that taught back to them. They said, all right, well, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon's like, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Yeah. And then and then just kind of tore their clothes off and sent them running. All right? That was the story. And, and so the idea, and, and what, I, what you hear from that guy is, from that demon is, well, I know Jesus, and he even knew who Paul was. But he sure didn't know who the seven sons of Sceva were. Because what they were doing... They weren't doing it in any kind of authority. They weren't doing it in any kind of real faith. They were just using some kind of a little cookie-cutter way of doing things that they saw, they heard, and they were just mimicking what they had heard and repeating it back. And that even worked a little bit, but not all the time, obviously. And so that verse tells us that this needs to be a little bit deeper in us. This isn't just me saying, oh, do this because this is what the Bible says, and then copying what you see there. It's really taking upon yourself the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace, the mercy of Jesus, the authority of Jesus to see people set free. That's what it requires. It's not just saying the words. You know, giving somebody the words and telling them to say the words, not just saying the words. <coughs> you got to have something in you that believes this. There's got to have something in you that knows this, something in you that understands who you are, that understands the work of Jesus in and through your life, that understands what it means to love somebody is to set them free. And you begin to understand that. You begin to understand that loving people is setting them free. Loving people is setting them at liberty. All right? That's, that's part of the love that God has for people. And really understanding that and really beginning to practice that then we put ourselves in a position where God's going to use us to see that happen in other people's lives. I want to be a person that's a freedom giver. I just do. I want to be a person that sees people set free body and soul and spirit. To see people set free in in the deepest places of their lives free to see things, free to hear things, free to know things, free to respond to things. 
not living under depression, not living under oppression, not living under some kind of a physical ailment that can't, just can't shake, not living under fear all the time, not living in bondage all the time. We've been given the keys to see people set free. And as far as I'm concerned, it's wrong to let them rot away in their jail if we've got the keys. I just think it's wrong. I think it's unmerciful to do that. I think it's unloving to do that. Can you understand where I'm coming from with that? Yeah. And so if we've been given the keys, we've been given this opportunity to exercise what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said in our lives. That's the opportunity we've been given. And I think more than anything else I learned from seeing this interaction here between Jesus and this demon and then you go into the other Gospels and you see him interacting with the, the Gadarene demons, Legion. And you see the interaction with that. And you see what happened there. And you see his interactions throughout the Gospels with these demons. The things that we can learn from that, I think I'm trying to draw with you tonight, is that we've been given the opportunity to see people set free and to love people. And this is one of the ways that we can love people. Just one. We can bless people. We can, we can help people. We can provide for people. We can pray for people. We can do a lot of things for people. This is just one of the ways that we can love people. And it just happens to be a common way that Jesus loved people. And so if it was a common way that Jesus loved people, it's probably a good idea. And you may think we live in a kind of enlightened age where this isn't really an issue. Uh, over the past number of years, it's become more and more of an issue right here. And I don't see that it's not going to be an issue in the future. When we travel, we go places all over the world. With the exception of Western Europe, this is really not a debatable topic. All right, we, there's no debate. If we're in Mexico, there's no debate people are possessed of devils. People know that. And, and deliverance is a part of the reality of what it is to minister. We go to South America, Central America. There's no debate about this. This is not a controversial topic. People are possessed of devils, and they need deliverance. They need hope, and they need freedom and liberty in their lives. Uh, as I mentioned, West Africa, this is not an issue. You know, North Africa, this is not an issue. Parts of Central Africa where I've been, this was not an issue. It's not a debatable topic. It just is what it is. Parts of the Middle East that I've been a part of and been to, this is not something that people argue about. It just is. It's just part of the problem, part of the issue, part of the human condition, and people need to be set free. And like I said, more and more of what I'm seeing here is that people are more and more open to being set free from the power of the devil over their lives. And they may not call it that. They may not define it that way, but that's the truth. And and the fact of the matter is people know they're not free. People know that they're in bondage. People know that they feel helpless. People know that they don't know what to do or where to turn or, or how to get out of it. They already know that part. 
that gives us the opportunity to do what we do in order to see people free. You know, every week for evangelism, I pray that, that we'll pray deliverance over people. And I mean that. I, I just pray that happens every week. I pray every week that we're just praying deliverance over people. I pray every week when we're starting church, it's something that I pray to myself, is that uh, people on the prayer teams will be praying deliverance over people up front. Just set them free. I don't want to argue about it. I don't want it to be a problem. I don't want anybody to, 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 you know, to debate about it. There's no debate. I just want to see people set free. And as long as people keep us in our box, as long as people keep us, uh, you know, our, our, our demonic spirits or fear keeps us from doing the things and proclaiming the things and exercising the things and moving in the authority that Jesus has given us, people will live in bondage. They will live in oppression. We can't allow that fear to stop us. And so I want to encourage you forward. You know, I, I really firmly believe that if this demon could have made Jesus afraid, he would have. Why are you doing this? Look at the accusations. Are you, are you interfering with us? Why are you, you, know, you know, really accusing him of the things that he's doing. Do you see, though, he's trying to instill fear in him? All right? Or doubt or whatever it would. Not that he could with Jesus, but he's trying. Well, that's what the devil does to make us ineffective in the moment. And so I want to encourage you beyond that to come into this with a different attitude, to come into this with a different way of seeing things, to come into this with a different way of understanding who you are in relation to the people around you, in relation to God, and in relation to the demonic. Because they're just going to lie to you. Don't let that lie make you afraid. They're going to accuse you of stuff. Don't let that accusation make you shrink back and make you afraid. They're going to try to make you feel bad. Because you're interfering with what they want to do. They're good time. Whatever that is. Do not allow that to make you afraid in order to use the authority and move in the authority that Jesus Christ has given you. Because you have the power to see them set free. Jesus didn't let it bother him. He was there, you know, he, he appeared to destroy, to unravel, to unwind, to take apart, to loose, to dissolve, to unbind the works of the devil, the chains of the devil. That's why he appeared. And so why are we here? Carry on. Carry on, church. Carry on. So let's add this to our arsenal. Let's add this to our tool belt. You know, we're going to love, we're going to serve, we're going to encourage, we're going to bless, we're going to pray for, we're going to lay hands on for healing, we're, we're going we're gonna to share good news, we're going to do all that stuff. But let's add this onto our tool belt. Deliverance is part and parcel to all that I just said. Right to the very basic of it's right in line with and related to and combined with loving people. And let's keep it that close to our hearts, that close to our hand, that close to our lives. Does anybody have any questions that I can answer that maybe I didn't answer with this?
Just real quick. We got a couple minutes. Yes. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. And, and people always look at the uh, one, they'll give like the one example where the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. Right. And so Jesus came and did it. And he's like, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, I want you to understand with that. Now, think about this for a second. That was such an unusual circumstance that the disciples couldn't understand what was going on. Right? Because they had cast out so many demons and they had prayed deliverance over so many people before that happened that when that happened, they had no idea what was going on. It's like, why? I don't understand why we can't do this. In other words, they've been doing it the whole time. You know, how many hundreds or how many thousands of times they had done it and they run across this one and it's like, wow, I don't know what's up. And so Jesus came and did it. Right? So don't make that the rule. <laughs> Right? That's not the rule. The rule was they were going to town on everything they were coming across, and that was the exception that confused them. So go about your business, and if you get the hit with an exception, worry about that then. Don't worry about that while you're going about your business. You should have every expectation just like they did that whatever person they prayed over, whatever person they laid hands on, whatever person that they prayed deliverance over, that it would be unraveled and that person would be set free. That's our expectation. And that's exactly what happened with them over and 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 over again until that one time. So we're not going to make that the rule. That's the exception. So don't worry about that one. Don't worry about that one. That's the exception. Let's hit, let's just go about it. Let's go about what it is God's called us to do. Let's go about setting people free and loving them like that. So yeah, simple. Simple as it's going to be. You want, you want to read about people doing it? Just read through the Gospels. You'll see it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Just happened all the time. It was as common as everything else and anything else that Jesus did was that. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for the authority that you give. And I want to say thanks that uh, you give us example after example uh, through the life of Jesus and then through the life of the early church as to what this actually looks like on a practical living level. That Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, cast out demons and demonic spirits, evil spirits, familiar spirits, unclean spirits. That's what he did. And so when he did that, people were healed and people were set free and people were brought back into their right mind. And, and all these things happened. As, as he went about the work of unraveling the works of the devil, as he went about the work of unbinding the works of the devil, of dissolving and of loosing the chains that were around people. And so as the devil's works are unraveled, people come into their right mind. As the devil's works are unraveled, then people come into health and wholeness. As the devil's works are unraveled, people are open and ready to receive the good news of the kingdom. And so, God, I, I ask you that, 
that we'd be a people all about unraveling and loosening and, and unbinding and dissolving the hindrances and the things that are standing in the way of people having life and that more abundantly. I pray we can love people that much to want to see them really live. I pray we can love people that much to want to see them really free. We can love people that much to see them happy, to see them full of joy. So, Father, I ask that you, you, and I thank you, that you teach us what it means to live like Jesus. I thank you for the example of the early church and the apostles that just set people free, that unraveled and loosed and, and, and broke bondages over people that they might live in that more abundantly. I thank you, God, for the examples that we have. And so I pray that we would take upon ourselves the, that key that you give us to unlock the lives and the hearts and the minds of the people around us. I pray, God, that we would take that key in the power of the Holy Spirit and we would speak when it was time to speak and we would minister when it's time to minister. We'd lay hands when it's time to lay hands. We would proclaim when it's time to proclaim. We'd command when it's time to command. We'd pray when it's time to pray. Father, I pray we'd take that key and we would apply it in the way that you call us to. And I just ask for just chains and fetters and bindings to be broken and to drop off of people in the name of Jesus. I pray that you raise up in this church a deliverance ministry that's full of healing, that's full of wholeness, that's full of life, that's full of joy, that's full of peace, and that's just full of the love of Jesus. Just the, this, the immense love of Jesus. Because God, I pray that we can love people and set them free. We can love people by, by seeing them set free in their lives. So God, I just ask you that you just fill us with that kind of faith tonight. I pray you fill us with that kind of an authority tonight that even as you commissioned the 72, even as you commissioned the 12 and you sent them out and you gave them power and authority over unclean spirits, God, I thank you that you give us power and authority over unclean spirits. I pray we go, we go in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in his power and in his authority. Thank you, God. So, God, I thank you for life. I thank you for abundant life tonight. I pray that it would just be ministering joy, peace, grace, and love. Teach us how to be a, a supernatural people supernatural people in the world that we live in. I pray, God, that we would see you ministering, see you glorified, see your power evidenced in and through our lives. We give you thanks tonight. We give you praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You no, know, me and Christ are homies. 
That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. 